The following Knowledge at Warden podcast is brought to you by Vanguard, offering investments designed to help individuals and institutions reach their financial goals. Visit Vanguard.com. Additional support for this podcast comes from Warden Executive Education. For more information on Warden's executive course, Essentials of Management, please visit executiveeducation.warden.upenn.edu. The Economist called it a snort from a dragon's nostrils. At the end of February, as China's stock market index fell by a little more than 8%, stock markets tumbled around the globe. It was their steepest decline since the September 11 attacks in 2001. The Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped more than 500 points in a single afternoon. In addition to worries about China, worries about a possible shakeout in the U.S. subprime mortgage market contributed to the anxiety. And to add to the gloom, Alan Greenspan, former chairman of the Federal Reserve, commented that the U.S. economy could face a recession. In the week that has gone by, volatility has continued. Markets have recovered, only to drop again and then climb again. What is causing volatility, and what does it mean for investors? Knowledge at Wharton discussed this question with Jeremy Siegel, a professor of finance at Wharton and author of Stocks for the Long Run and The Future for Investors. A little later, we will also speak with Marshall Meyer, a professor of management who closely follows China's economy. Professor Siegel, welcome. Why did the stock markets fall at the end of February? Is it right to call this volatility, and do you think it will continue? Well, I wish I could have warned all the listeners and, and readers that uh, it was going to happen a week ago Tuesday, but, but no one knew when the markets were going to take a fall. What we really saw was a very tight upward movement of markets for a seven-month period, which had not even experienced a 2% correction. That was the longest time period in, in more than seven months. And what does that mean? That means that we get a lot of trend followers, a lot of momentum players that jump onto the market like a bandwagon and say, I'm going to ride this upward. But as soon as I feel it changes trend, I'm going to sell out. Uh, and that's basically what happened a week ago Tuesday. There were a couple of bits of negative news, not in a, of themselves enough to cause the market to, to go down as much as it did. But as soon as the market breached that uh, 2% barrier, uh, there was a flood of sell signals uh, and sell orders. And the other 3% occurred in a matter of uh, less than an hour. So what we did is we got a lot of trend followers uh, that were jumping, jumping off this train, and uh, that was the major cause of the volatility. Uh, what was interesting and also to some extent scary was that every market worldwide uh, felt the same ripple effects last week. Uh, why did that happen? Isn't yeah. diversification meant to spread risk around and prevent such simultaneous global meltdowns? Well, I think that what we saw shows how linked today's world markets are. Really, we have the same players in the world markets. Everyone is now dealing with international markets. We have instantaneous communication between traders. They're all uh, you know, telling each other what they think. Uh, and that, that produces groupthink. Um, emotions, fear, greed, optimism, pessimism are going to be traveling at the speed of light throughout the markets. It was remarkable. Almost every market fell from 3 to 6% on that day, markets that had nothing to do with, with uh, what was being discussed. But I, I, I think it tells the linkage of, of the markets. Now, people say, hey, diversification does not work. I think that's the wrong conclusion. 
What we do know is in the short run, the very short run, markets are more linked than they've ever been. But there's no evidence that that is true in the longer period of time. There's all sorts going to be different economic growth, currency changes, policies, etc. And so it is as important as, as uh, ever to be diversified uh, globally. Only thing I want to warn people is don't think that that's going to save you from short-term fluctuations, but it's going to be very rewarding for long-term investors. Many investors have been feeling jumpy because of fears about defaults in the subprime mortgage market. How serious is that risk? Uh, the the subprime market uh, in and of itself is – is 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 certainly um, one of the causes of of the anxiety. Uh, the good news is that I believe firmly that it will be um, isolated to this market. Uh, also, one has to to realize that the defaults that we're talking about are not going to wipe out 100% of the value because these uh, subprime mortgages do have homes behind them. And even if we say the home is not worth as much as the mortgage now with a decline, uh, almost all experts say 75 to 80% of, of those subprime loans value. That did wipe out 25%. Uh, and there were over 500 billion of those. So you know, that's $100 billion. But in the credit markets today around the world, that is not a big number. Uh, we are. It is not the same as the as the type of credit defaults we got from WorldCom and all the telecom companies back in the late '90s that were building fiber optic cable. Because in that case, their values went down to zero. All the subprime mortgages have real estate behind them. Uh, even with real estate going down, they're still retaining most of their value. So my feeling is this is not going to be a serious uh, a threat to uh, to the U.S. markets. Uh, some of the economic data that have been coming out have, have uh, you know, raised some questions about where the economy may be headed. Uh, for example, on March 6th, the Commerce Department reported that U.S.-made manufactured goods dropped 5.6% in January, which is said to be the fastest decline since 2000. And last week, uh, you know, Alan Greenspan uh, also made some comments uh, uh, and uh, I was wondering if the market is right in interpreting these data to believe that a recession could be around the corner. What right. do you think? Well, today, actually, Greenspan clarified his comments a bit and says he thinks a one-third probability, um, which surprised me. It's a higher than I thought he would say a recession by the end of this year. I think it's much – I think it's lower than that. I would say probably, you know, 20 percent or so, not 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 33 percent. Um uh, yeah, bottom line, yes, the economy is slowing down. Um, you know, I can, we can give a lot of indicators. It grew 3 to 3.5% in 2003, 2004, 2005, 2006. By the end of 2006, it has slowed down to around 2%. It looks like around 2 to 2.5% 2 at the beginning of uh, this year in the first quarter. And I wouldn't be surprised if the whole year we see about a 2% increase. This is not a recession, though. Uh, this is a very typical, what I call mid-cycle uh, slowdown. We had the same thing in 1995 after Greenspan and the Fed raised interest rates aggressively uh, in 1994. Uh, that was also a mid-cycle slowdown. I think I think 2007 will be also slower growth, but I think looking to 2008 and even the end of this year, uh, we're going to see growth accelerate again. 
How do you foresee the situation developing in China? The Shanghai index fell close to 9% last week in reaction to rumors that the Chinese government was going to clamp down on speculation. But then after that, the Chinese stocks have bounced back. So what do you think will happen in China and what impact will that have on global markets? Some people wonder, is China now, you know, the, uh, the, the, the market that can set uh, these, these problems off? Certainly China is becoming more important. Uh, but I, I don't think that that was in and of itself justified a world sell-off of uh, many times the entire uh, uh, value of the Chinese market uh, if, we, if we look at the drop in values around the world. One has to realize, uh, even though 9% certainly is a dramatic number, that the Shanghai index had increased by 130% in 2006. And even after the 9% decline, and by the way, it's now up from that position, it was still higher than it was just two weeks before. So when people think of a meltdown in values, almost every investor uh, in in the Chinese markets over the last year has been up and up very, very big. Uh, so my, my feeling is, is that China doesn't like the speculation in the markets. Um, really, no central banks like uh, excessive uh, speculation. Uh, they, they could have taken measures to slow it down, um, and those uh, rumors were one of the triggers onto that market. I do not see, though, uh, anything serious with the Chinese economy. I, th- I still think it's going to grow extremely well, and I don't think that uh, – um, that we have to worry about that contagion being essentially important for the world markets. So what would you expect the markets to do over the coming weeks? Uh, what factors should investors watch out for? Well, this is this is my um, projection going forward. Once we've gotten a, a big decline, uh, it, it, we are going to see more volatile markets. Um, I actually think that we uh, will not see it go down much further. Uh, I think we're going to see it backing and filling for a few weeks, forming a base, uh, and then moving upward. Uh, And I still believe that by the end of 2007, we're going to see stock prices higher than we did in 2006. So then we'll close with the question that we usually do. What strategy would you recommend for investors in the coming weeks? Well, I still think there is great value in the stock market. In fact, now that it's lower, I think there's better values now than there were two or three uh, weeks ago. Uh, We clearly will not have the earnings growth that we've had over the last three or four years. That's still going to speak double-digit earnings growth. Experts are are looking, forecasters, for 6-7% earnings growth. Um, with a with a two percent dividend yield uh, on top of that, that's a good return for investors. If earnings growth is slower, or even if earnings decline, uh, I think it is an absolute certainty that the Fed will start lowering interest rates, and that will help the markets. So. Um, I think that even with a slowdown in earnings growth, there is very good value in stocks, in U.S. stocks, in international stocks. And if the slowdown produces a, a further fall in the earnings growth or even an outright decline in earnings, I'm certain that the Fed will lower the rates because that would threaten a, a recession and that will have the impact of, of boosting stock prices. So I think there's a lot of protection on the downside Uh, with very good prospects on the upside. Professor Siegel, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me.
We will now speak with Professor Marshall Meyer of Wharton's management department, who watches China's economy closely and has done several case studies on Chinese companies. Professor Meyer, welcome, and thanks very much for joining us today. I'm glad to be with you. We were just speaking with Jeremy Siegel, and he noted that China's securities markets have risen 130% in the past year. What's been driving this bull surge? Uh, it's quite a bull surge, uh, driven by a number of factors. Um, in part, the markets were weighed down. Um, the markets from 03 through 05 dropped, I'm not sure what percentage, but pretty substantially. People were very, very pessimistic, not about the economy, but um, about the ability of the markets to deliver sustained growth to investors, deliver dividends, and so forth. So it's a recovery. Uh, but there's something else driving the bull surge, and it's uh, it's a very, very interesting set of developments. One of the developments is the compensation that um, the listed firms are paying current holders of A shares, that is tradable shares, um, as the state shares are made tradable. Uh, for a long time, the state's debated whether or not uh, to circulate um, the legal person shares, state-owned shares. And they finally compromised, as so many things are done in China, and they decided that uh, to prevent uh, the effects of dilution or to minimize the effects of dilution, uh, they would compensate existing holders of A shares. And the compensation was pretty high, up to 30%. So people were betting on the compensation. Uh, if you bought at the right time and the company decided to pay out 20 or 30% uh, share dividend, um, uh, you could make a lot of money real quickly. In some sense, the market was run up by this. Um, but there are other factors as well, including the growth of the Chinese economy and some other changes uh, occurring in the stock market, which I think we're going to get to in a few moments. Uh, the South China Morning Post has reported that uh, China's premier, Wen Jiabao, has just announced a series of measures to prevent Chinese stocks from becoming too risky. Uh, in your view, what do you think is needed to stabilize China's markets and the economy? Oh, I think a number of things are needed to uh, uh, stabilize the markets a bit and to ensure uh, long-term growth of the economy. Uh, the most important thing actually is not in the stock markets themselves. It's in all the internal blockages in China. Uh, China is not one economy. It's 31 or 32 provincial economies right now. Doing business within China is very, very difficult. Um, their internal tariffs or non-tariff barriers internally cost of moving goods within China far exceeds the cost of moving goods from China to foreign destinations. And ultimately, uh, China is going to have to build a real domestic economy uh, for sustained growth. There's just going to be too much pushback on the export drive uh, at the present, uh, that uh, uh, is in many respects at the core of their economy right now. Now, there, there, there are some other things that uh, – uh, probably should take place in China. Um, the, 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 the most important piece here is the nature of the growth in China. Um, China has replaced production targets with GDP targets. Provincial governors are rewarded for achieving and overachieving uh, GDP targets. And this leads to uh, interesting sort of growth. Just to give you one number, over 50% of China's GDP last year was fixed asset investment, basically pouring concrete. 
And it could be argued that China, much in contrast to India, has way too much as opposed to too little infrastructure. It's surprising, for example, when you get out on the new Chinese highways. They're beautiful highways. And basically, you're all alone out there. The, uh, the trucks aren't rolling on these highways. So um, the, 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 the government's trying to redirect the economy toward domestic, especially household consumption. Uh, doing that's going to be very hard, however, as long as the present incentives are in place. According to media reports, Mr. Wen plans to continue the macroeconomic control measures that have been in place since late 2003 to cool down the Chinese economy. Is that the right move? Well, I'm not sure. Uh, for example, um, raising interest rates uh, is uh, an uncertain proposition in China, given that um, many uh, uh, borrowers don't repay their loans. Uh, as you know, China's worked very hard to get the NPLs of the big four banks, uh, Bank of China, ICBC, Industrial Commercial Bank, uh, and so forth, uh, down. And yet everyone acknowledges that the NPLs will go up uh, in 06 when we finally see the totals and will go up again in 07. So the interest rate controls haven't worked too well. They've tried um, raising reserve requirements for banks. Again, I'm not sure how well they'll work given that the banks are politically constrained uh, by local governments. Um, I think that um, as they redirect investment toward the west of China, toward the poorer provinces, um, this could help a little bit because that's going to be very productive investment. Um, but I also think that... Um, uh, the ability of the government simply to control the economy, the ability of the government to collect taxes, the ability of the government to uh, prevent the kind of um, excessive GDP growth at the provincial level is going to be key to uh, economic change in China. The nearly 9% drop in the Shanghai uh, stock index last week has been attributed to rumors that the government was about to clamp down on speculation. Is that likely to happen? Um, are they likely to clamp down on speculation? Um, hard to say. Um, one of the numbers I picked up this morning was that 60% of the share ownership in China is still individual. Uh, it's, um, uh, I, I'm not sure what the percentage is in the U.S., but at this point I know it's much, much higher than that. Um, go, playing the stock market in China is, let me make a comparison, maybe it's unfair. It's like playing mahjong. It's like going to the track. Um, I, I, the polite phrase for it is momentum investing. People are betting on the way other people are betting, and that, indu that induces kind of a natural volatility uh, into the stock market. And to, 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 to change this... Um, uh, you're going to need more institutional investors, more sophisticated institutional investors. You're probably going to need um, a little more opportunity for folks in Ch for folks in China through QDII mechanisms to invest outside of China, so they get more exposed to sophisticated both analysis and forms of investment, and probably more opportunity for folks outside of China to invest in the A-share market through, again, QFII, Qualified Foreign Institutional Investment Mechanisms. So over time, I think the speculation will calm down as the market matures a little more. But I, I'm not sure what, what, what steps the government can take 
fundamentally to change this uh, uh, near term. Uh, what are the long-term structural changes uh, that are going on in the Chinese stock market? And what are their implications for long-term growth and stability? Let me go back to something I mentioned a couple of minutes ago. Um, again, there is a process of converting legal person shares to circulating shares uh, in the Shanghai Shenzhen markets. The legal person shares until this time could only be owned by institutions. They could be traded, but in a very restricted market at prices much below circulated shares. Consequence of this is that state owners weren't interested in financial results. As the shares that, let me, let me be very clear on this, remain held by state owners and institutional owners, SOEs, become tradable, they also become priced at the market, by the market. And so the state owners become sensitive to financial results. The consequence of this will be greater discipline on the firms and perhaps, not certainly, but perhaps better performance of the Chinese firms. Now, let me give you an indication of the way this is changing. In the introduction, it's mentioned that I've written some case studies of Chinese firms. I just finished another one. Uh, it's not been signed off yet, so I, I, I can't describe the details of it here, in fact, even what it is. But, but I will assure you, this is a large Chinese firm. Uh, the name is fairly well known, uh, but it's a very large, very significant Chinese firm. And um, I'll just describe something that happened in the last few days in the course of wrapping up the case. Never in the process of writing this case um, did I ask them, um, what, what's your profitability? Because this is a 100%, the, the group corporation is a 100% state-owned firm that's not listed. About a week ago, I get an email. Here are our revenues, and here's our profitability for the past 10 years. They're beginning to disclose this stuff. Okay, and that tells you that slowly the market discipline is working its way into firms. So one of the long-term strategies of this firm is to list the entire firm. Right now, about half the business is listed. So, as the, so long-term, I think there's going to be a sorting out in the market. The firms that just aren't going to do well um, will manifest this. They can't cover up their poor performance by listing only good assets and the firms that are going to do real well will show this, and it will give the investor an opportunity, if she or he is smart, uh, to make some money on a sustained basis in the Chinese stock market. It won't be quite the casino it's been. So in that respect, uh, I think you can be moderately optimistic about the long term in Chinese markets, provided this process continues. How do you expect China's economy to perform in the coming months? And what impact will this have on international firms doing business in China? Well, I don't know how to measure the performance of the Chinese economy. It's, 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 you remember, GDP um, is on a quota system, and it's a ratchet. You know, everyone ratchets up their GDP year to year. And if you look at the numbers, and particularly if you add up the provincial numbers for GDP, they're going to exceed the number reported by the central government because <laughs> it's, 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 it's the nature of any quota system. And, and, and again, there lies one of the major problems in China because, you know, under the, under, under the aegis of a, a socialist government uh, that still has quotas 
in, in, in some macroeconomic quotas, you've created this form of Dodge City capitalism or Wild West capitalism where people are just racing to pour more concrete to show that they've created more jobs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's not sustainable in the long run. So I think that you know, efforts to move away from not so much suppress GDP but to move away from a GDP quota system will have the short-term effect of slowing reported economic growth. I'm not saying actual economic growth, but reported economic growth. And um, will also have the long-term effect of improving real economic growth uh, in, the, in the country. So, so the conversion, there, there are two conversions taking place from the legal person shares, which are untradeable, which disincentivize the state to circulated shares, which incentivize everyone to improve the performance of the firm, and the move away from GDP quotas toward more realistic reporting of GDP, which ultimately will lead, I think, to sustainable as opposed to unsustainable economic growth. All of this, I think, is very good news for investors. One last question. You've done so much research on the globalization of Chinese firms. Uh, Do you expect that the recent volatility that we have seen in the Chinese stocks will affect their ability to make overseas acquisitions? Well, that's an interesting question because uh, uh, the the, the higher your share price, uh, the the easier it is to make an acquisition, at least in the West. Now, if you look at some of the large acquisitions um, uh, that were were proposed and one or two that actually went through, uh, in some cases they didn't involve shares at all. For example, um, the Scenic uh, purchase or the intended purchase of Unical, um, that was going to be pretty much a cash transaction funded by very low interest loans from the Bank of China. So the share price there, I'm not sure made a huge difference. Um, I think um, if you look at the uh, Lenovo uh, acquisition of the IBM PC business, uh, there there it made uh, uh, some difference, but there was also some cash involved. So I'm not terribly concerned about the volatility of shares affecting the ability of Chinese firms to make overseas acquisitions. I think the main concern today is political resistance uh, in the United States. And, I th- and I'm, I'm confident, in fact, I, I, that the Chinese government has shifted its policy somewhat. And you'll see smaller Chinese firms, uh, rather than the largest firms, making uh, acquisitions more or less below the radar. And I'm fairly confident that you're going to see uh, the government supporting these acquisitions, not through bank loans or not through loans from the commercial banks, but probably through some help from the Export-Import Bank in China. So um, there'll be more acquisitions. I think political resistance is far more significant than stock market volatility. And I, and I think I know that the Chinese government's policy, uh, the policy of going out, has shifted not dramatically but incrementally, incrementally as a consequence of this political resistance. Thank you very much for speaking with us today. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. For more information, please visit our website at knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.